0: Welcome to the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rita Jablonski. I'm a nurse practitioner and researcher with almost 35 years of experience working with people who have dementia and their family and formal caregivers. I explain why behaviors happen, what the behaviors mean, and how to best handle them. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes, and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hi everybody and welcome to today's Facebook Live. I'm Rita Jablonski and I am going to be talking about whether or not my family member with dementia should be driving. I am recording this and I will use it for my podcast. So this will be episode 22 for my podcast. If my podcasters are listening to this, it was already talked about in my Facebook live and in the future, you can hang out with me on Facebook and answer or answer. You can answer anything you want. You can ask me questions and I can answer in real time, which is kind of cool. And usually I don't repurpose my Facebook content because somehow I usually screw up the audio or do something bizarre, but I'm getting a lot better at this, which is so freaking cool. All right, I want to talk a little bit about a situation that my son recently encountered. My son is a Florida State Trooper, and he spends his entire 12-hour shift on the roads, highways, and interstates that lay inside Manatee County. And after hearing things from his perspective, it's sensitized me to some of the issues that can unfortunately come up with driving and dementia because I often hear people say to me, oh yeah I know my my husband is a little confused but it's okay for him to drive even though he's a little confused or he has a a touch of dementia or, or he has some Alzheimer's. He doesn't go far, he only goes to local places like the fast food joint down the street or the local grocery store or to church. And that may be true, but all you need is a detour, is a problem, and now you're going to be dealing with some some difficult shit here. So maybe it's okay for your loved one to drive, maybe not. And Mark texted me right after this event happened. Anytime I get a text from him, I think, uh-oh, what happened now, but it turned out He wanted to tell me about the situation he was in. So not long after he graduated from the academy, he had his first silver alert. Silver alerts indicate that a vulnerable older adult may be in in some sort of danger. Mark recognized the car and license plate of a 75-year-old man who had been reported missing four days earlier. The man lived in Orlando and, or the Orlando area rather, and was driving to the Tampa area, which is roughly about 130 mile, two hour drive. Perhaps even less. When the gentleman failed to show up for Thanksgiving dinner, worried relatives called the police. And Mark found the gentleman, not in Tampa, but Mark is in the Sarasota area, which is about two hours south of Tampa, like not even close. So Mark pulls the man over, and Mark walks over to the driver's side, and the gentleman jumps out of his car and begins screaming at my son, you know, why are you pulling me over? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm driving the speed limit. And Mark immediately said very calmly, sir, your family is worried about you. They've been looking for you. And Mark just repeated those same two sentences over and over. And all of this is getting picked up on Mark's dash cam. So that stopped the man from yelling. It calmed him down. And Mark called paramedics to check the guy out as per protocol. So while they were waiting, Mark did not want the man to stay in his vehicle because Mark was concerned he would decide to just drive away. And that would create a new problem. So Mark says to him why don't you sit in my cruiser? You might as well use up my gas money instead of yours. And the gentleman loved that idea. And then Mark started joking around and saying, your tax dollars at work. So the two of them hung out in Mark's cruiser. And I think whenever you have someone in your cruiser, the cruiser cams come on. So all of this was caught on with video and audio. And uh, the paramedics show up, and now the guy doesn't want to be checked out. So Mark convinces him it's a good idea. And Mark's thinking, okay, the paramedics are going to check him out. He's going to have a problem. They're going to take him away. I go back to duty. Nope, guy's fine. So now Mark has to sit with the gentleman and wait for family to show up from Tampa. So while they were waiting for the family to show up for about two hours, Mark answered the same three-question loop for the entire time. Why did you pull me over? Mark's response, your family was worried. When can I just, or, or not even when, why can't I just drive back home? Your family is on their way. You're in Sarasota. You're not in Orlando. How did I get in Sarasota? Replies the man. And Mark had tried different answers, and all they did was piss the guy off. So finally, Mark settled on, there's some construction, and I think you just got turned around. Which, in Florida, there's always construction somewhere. So talk about entering the man's reality. Mark totally did that. So Mark figured out, "Can't you can't lose blaming construction. So finally, the family shows up. Mark talks to the family, and advises them to get dad checked out and told them a little bit about what i do for living i think he shared my blog as a resource and honestly i think it's this was yeah he's my son and i'm proud of him but i'm also really pleased that this encounter with law enforcement went really well for the person living with dementia It doesn't always go well. There was a video circulating a couple months ago and it it sickened me when I saw two police officers tackle a woman who obviously had dementia and threw her down on the road, broke her arm. It, It just pissed me off watching it, but I know why. Mark's been hearing about dementia and dementia behaviors since he was in the womb, so glad to know that he absorbed it with the breast milk. So a couple of days later, Mark gets summoned to the captain's office and Mark's thinking, shit, what did I do now? And he walks into the office and there's a boat ton of brass. There's Mark's sergeant, Mark's captain, and the lieutenant. And they apparently watched the dash cam and the cruiser cam and the lieutenant got right to the point. Son, I know they don't teach this at the academy. I've never seen a trooper handle a person with obvious dementia. Where did you learn this? And Mark's response was, from my mom. Well the captain just got really upset and he says, shit, I'm sorry, I didn't know your mom had Alzheimer's. And then without missing a beat, my smart ass son responds, oh, she hasn't been diagnosed. And then he proceeds to explain what I do for a living, my podcast, my blog, and all the cool resources. The fact that I work with law enforcement to help with dementia training. And now I have a whole bunch of fans from the Florida area. So if any state troopers or law enforcement are listening from Florida, thank you. I appreciate you. And when you see my son, tell him it would be nice if he picked up the fucking phone once in a while and called his mother. Okay. Just saying. And you know what will happen. Someone will say this to Mark at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he'll call me at 3 a.m., which I totally deserve. So getting back to this situation, this was a volatile situation that, thank goodness, was handled well. And driving is a tricky and sensitive topic. One person with mild cognitive impairment may be fine driving locally during the day in good weather and avoiding interstates. Another person with mild cognitive impairment may be dangerously impulsive and easily angered and have no business behind the wheel. To be fair, anyone who is impulsive and easily angered should not be driving regardless of cognitive abilities, but that's not the topic and uh, also I'm gonna pause I see I have some viewers here and please you can go into the comments say hi let me know you're here hashtag watching live put in your questions and I'll be happy to periodically look at the comments and answer them which is kind of the cool thing when you get to be live here for the Facebook lives now Driving involves several types of brain activities, and these activities have to work together seamlessly, but a problem in one can foobar the entire process. So I want to talk a little bit about what's called procedural memory. Driving relies on a lot of procedural memory, and what is procedural memory? It is that autopilot part of yourself that does things automatically. It is really memorization of all the steps to do a task. We create procedural memory by doing a specific task daily or multiple times a day over decades. Whatever you learn as a kid and you keep doing repeatedly, that becomes a super strong procedural memory. A great example is learning how to tie shoelaces. I remember teaching each of my three kids how to tie their shoes. It took hours. You know, the bunny ears, this goes there, that goes someplace else. Each child would face the task of tying their shoelaces with deadly seriousness, total concentration, and frustration. Over time though, it became easier and easier. By the time they entered first grade, tying shoelaces had become a procedural memory, which meant they used very little brain power to complete the task. And that's what I mean by autopilot. When something is automated in your brain, you are not using hardly any brain juice to do it. It's not unlike for friends of mine who are involved in marketing and they have all these slick software programs. So if you go on their website and you click something or you buy something, there's all these automated messages like Amazon. I already got an automated message that I had something in my cart from two days ago. Well, your brain does a lot of that with your day to day activities. And when you have your brain on autopilot, this frees up your brain's energy to focus on other activities like planning. What should I pull out for dinner tonight? Which again, if you can automate as much stuff as possible, like plan a menu, get things out the night before, you are engaging in problem solving and you really are using very little of your brain capacity. When you think about how important procedural memory is, I mean, if, if we had to get up every morning and literally concentrate on brushing our teeth like we were solving an algebra problem, wiping our butts after pooping, dressing ourselves, making coffee, feeding the various animals, tossing laundry in the washer, emptying the dishwasher, we would be ready for a nap about 20 minutes after getting up in the morning and we'd have no acetylcholine left. Instead, thanks to procedural memory, I can do all of those activities simultaneously. So you can see that all of us rely on procedural memory when we drive, and when we drive familiar roads. Have you ever had the experience at arriving at your destination, and the whole time you were thinking about a work situation or a family situation, and all of a sudden you're pulling into the parking garage, and you realize you have no recall or idea how you got there. That's because your mind was preoccupied with something else while you were driving. Or my personal favorite, there are times I've pulled out of my house and I will go a certain route and I either go north on 65 to go to work or I go south on 65 to go to the barn, and if I'm not totally in the moment, if I'm thinking about something and preoccupied, I have gone on autopilot and been halfway to work before I realized I took the wrong way on the interstate. So that is basically, you can blame your procedural memory. But driving is more than procedural memory. When you are driving and something sudden or unusual occurs, other brain parts jump in. A crash up ahead? Okay, I'll take this exit and reroute my drive. I may have to retrieve old memories from my previous experiences of taking this route, or I may rapidly turn on my navigational assistant while I'm driving. I may have to engage more of my working memory to hold on to the general direction i need to travel in order to arrive at my destination and to pay attention to my navigational software if i'm using that i also have to engage the spatial the visual spatial brain parts because i have to generate the map of the detour into my working memory and plan the route and implement it. All while maneuvering around the other hundred drivers who all decided to get off the interstate and go around the accident. My procedural memory continues to run in the background because I'm still utilizing that procedural memory to handle the basic mechanics of driving, like turning the wheel, flipping on the turn signal, tapping the gas, tapping the brake, changing the radio station, and all of those things that I do when I drive. If there are brain problems in any of these important areas, working memory, concentration, attention, retrieval, or the visual-spatial pieces, I lose my ability to successfully arrive at my destination in spite of a detour or if something unusual happens. I may keep going around in circles because I get into a feedback loop. I may forget my destination and have no idea where I am going which causes anxiety and if there is anxiety that slows down retrieval. It makes attention more difficult and concentration more difficult. I may fail to react quickly to debris in the road or i may overreact and change lanes hitting the vehicle next to me so back to mark's situation the best they could figure out is the man was going fine on the interstate and there was a section of the interstate that had been rerouted a bit for improvement and the signage might've been confusing or different from what he had been used to, and it looked like he had pulled off the exit ramp and then literally kept driving this same, he would head north for a little bit, then go east, then drop south, head west, and then go north. Like he was literally driving this rectangle between Sarasota and maybe halfway to Tampa. So it's quite possible something that affected the man's concentration or working memory or something caused the problem. Now that I've explained how driving involves a dance between procedural memory and other parts of the brain, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I'm gonna talk about some of the things you need to consider about your loved one to determine their suitability to drive, so don't go away. I'll be right back. Now that I've explained how driving involves a dance between procedural memory and other parts of the brain, I want you to think about your loved one living with dementia. What problems do they have? Do they have short term memory problems? Do they have problems with road rage and impulsivity? Do they have problems knowing what day of the week it is? Do they know the month or the year? Any of these problems are a sign that their ability to drive needs further evaluation. So these next questions can guide the the decision. So is the person living with dementia getting lost in familiar places? If you notice that you take them shopping or you go into Walmart and they're having problems navigating, they're likely gonna have problems navigating even in familiar places if the person with dementia is getting lost and having problems in familiar situations in familiar places then it is a safer option to have them stop driving the next question is do you notice any recent accidents or near misses That can be tricky because sometimes the people living with dementia will tell you it was the other driver's fault. And unless you're in the car, you may not be aware of the situation. Have you noticed any new unexplained damage showing up on the car? Maybe scrapes, little bits of paint missing. This could indicate that when they're in a parking lot, they're hitting another car or they might be hitting some of those poles that mark off the space where you put in the carts, the the cart return area. Any new damage showing up on the car that requires more investigation for patterns of recent accidents or near misses, as well as consistent new damage on the car. When thinking about recent accidents or near misses, was the person living with dementia at fault? Did the time of day or weather play a factor? Sometimes people in the mild uh, cognitive impairment stages or the mild dementia stage have to restrict their driving to only daytime and avoid driving during busy times on interstates at night and, and in bad weather. The next area of concern would be If you notice any impulsive or road rage type behaviors or any new patterns of traffic violations. For example, with the traffic violations, I had a situation in which the person had to drive as part of his work responsibilities for 40 years, zero tickets next thing you know envelopes containing traffic violations are coming in the mail three or four times a week he's blowing red lights he's getting those automatic tickets in the mail and this was very very much unlike his driving style and this sudden flood of new tickets is what prompted his wife to take him to a neurologist and and get an evaluation. And unfortunately, yes, there, there were cognitive changes going on. Another really important question to ask is about impulsivity and road rage. When I talk about impulsive or road rage behaviors, I'm talking about frequent issues. I've had experiences with persons who had frontal lobe problems who would become overly aggressive and literally try to run another driver off of the road for seemingly minor infractions. For example, the other driver wasn't driving fast enough. So the person with the impulsivity and road rage issues would feel the need to tailgate them or drive up alongside of them, roll down the window and start to yell or produce hand gestures. There was another situation where the driver with the road rage issues and the cognitive issues as well became really upset with the person in front of him who changed lanes without signaling. And he literally tried to run them off the road and he explained to his wife, well, they had to be taught a lesson. Now, my caveat here is I recognize that yes to road rage would apply to many people having their license revoked. I have no argument about that. But the question here is the sudden appearance of impulsivity and extreme road rage situations and answers, affirmative answers to those type of situations indicate a need for additional evaluation as well as possibly stopping the person living with dementia from driving. So speaking about safety, that leads me to my two final questions, which are important to ask. Would you feel comfortable riding as a passenger if the person with dementia were driving. If I receive an immediate no, that that tells me we're done here. Sometimes I'll have family members say, well, yeah, I'd be okay in the car because they're thinking if something goes wrong, I can grab the wheel. So the next follow-up question I ask on that is, would you feel comfortable having your child or grandchild as a passenger if the person with dementia were driving? And if I get a hard no on that, it's game over. What if there seems to be no problems with driving in spite of observable memory problems? That is a little trickier. The safest approach is to limit driving to local well known places that the person has driven to for years, such as the supermarket, barbershop, hair salon, church, and it may be a good idea for someone to regularly ride as a passenger to make sure that things are going okay. And I often hear of family members doing that. They'll start to find uh, excuses or they'll say things like, Oh, I'd like to go with you, but I don't feel like driving. And this way they can keep an eye on the driving skills of the person living with dementia. You know, I I completely get it. I completely understand how important personal freedom is to all of us, especially persons with dementia. But if a person with dementia is unaware of his or her own driving problems and limitations, that's where you are going to have to step in to limit their driving to literally take away the keys. In some cases, you may have to remove the car because hiding or removing the keys may not be enough. I recently encountered a situation where an adult daughter let her mom hold the key fob, but they didn't take the battery out. When the daughter started unloading the groceries, mom slipped into the driver's side because she had the fob, turned on the car, and drove away after that they did remove the battery from the key fob and to be honest and, and it was so understandable at the time the daughter had been so worn down by her mother's arguments and her mother's refusal to can hand over the key fob she just let her mom keep it thinking I'll, I'll get around to it and I recommended, and this is what they finally did, I recommended saying to mom, hey, the battery needs to be changed, taking the key fob and pulling out the battery and then not putting one in. Now, the daughter also said, you know, my mom's pretty sharp and observant. She may see me remove a battery and wonder why I'm not putting another one in. And I said, okay. Here's a possible workaround, but you have to be okay with possibly breaking the key fob. What you could do is you could buy the wrong size zinc battery and take the correct one out, put the incorrect in. It's not going to work. Or if you do have some dead batteries that you pulled out of another device, put a dead battery back in there. Anyway, so far so good. They did pull out the battery. They didn't have to put in a new one and there hasn't been an issue. So the take home message here is if you have questions or concerns about whether or not a person with dementia should be driving, it's a good idea to talk to your primary care provider, a clinician who is experienced with dementia care, or even local law enforcement about what your options are Some of your larger medical centers, especially those who have rehabilitative facilities, and a lot of your VAs do have occupational therapists who can evaluate whether or not someone should be driving. They have protocols in place for these evaluations. And a driving evaluation is a good place to start. So at this point, Thank you for listening in, and again, if you're listening to This Is My Podcast, thank you very much. Next week, I thought I would be doing this at 3 o'clock Central Time, but I found out that I have an activity going on, tis the season, you know, 10 pounds of shit in a 5 pound-up bag. Thank you and have a great week. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me info at makedementiayourbitch.com.